Welcome to the Sarah and Sally show. Before you dive in and listen to this interview, we're delighted to let you know that we've got a series of books coming out. We've got art, hip hop, music, and we've also got a new Blag book, volume four, number one. Check it out at www.blagmagazine.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, this is the Sarah and Sally show. Isn't it, Sarah? <laughs> Do you want to sound some more enthusiastic? Actually, Sally's really tired because um, I've actually been in Sally's company today and she's, I felt the mouse um, was almost like a, a, a what's it called? Um, techno beat maker. A techno beat maker, yeah, but also the, I think, metronome. Oh, yeah. Mm. All day, like, designing, tidying things up, working on a new music book, editing this interview. I've been editing photos. Sally and I had a bit of a photo session yesterday because we thought it was finally time we showed ourselves. We've had a bit of a recovery time and now we're being a little bit more human so we're quite delighted to be able to do some pictures. It was fun. We had a bright laugh. We had a good time. We should probably video some of it. But Um, I do think I've got about 30 different laughs. Yeah. We talked about laughing last time actually but Sally and I love it. We love a good laugh. We try to incorporate some laughter from our interviewees, it's a bit we of an intention. It's an intention of ours that each time we do an interview to get some some laughs going. When we did, there was one issue we did actually, but I remember that I laughed till I cried on every shoot, and I I should have invested in waterproof mascara because it's quite messy. It's good though. Yeah, it's good. It's really good fun. Every it's brilliant. proof. It's like you've made me laugh. Yeah. Look at me. Maybe I was laughing at my own jokes though, because that's what happens quite a lot. You're like, can you just stop? <laughs> Taken away. Can you get to the point? I just kind of like to freestyle here and there. No, no, this this is the thing. Everybody thinks that twins know what each other are thinking. Sarah is 99% wrong. <laughs> it is. Every day. Yeah. Mostly causes, causes laughter. Or friction. Yeah. It's like roulette. We're in a constant <laughs> yeah. game of roulette. It is. Sorry, you've um, got some lovely notes. I do have some lovely notes, but I've just... Basically, we've put a new magazine together. It's the first magazine we've done for ages because of things like COVID and accidents and life. And we're really proud of it. We got our test prints back from the printer this week and really happy with it. It looks really, really good. And one of the interviews in it is a a musician called Johnny. And I really wanted to bring a new interview into the podcast this week. So I just wanted you to... I really want you to hear this one. Really, Really excited about it all. It's... um. It's just a small extract because it's a very long interview and it's fun and it's honest and it's kind of like an interview meets conversation. And I remember you really enjoyed reading it, didn't you? I did. When I read it, I just found it really kind of therapeutic and exciting because it was like reading about someone who just really went for their dreams and really kind of like didn't kind of like hang around in any nose as far as I could tell. I don't but I really think so, enjoyed no. that. I, really I just think it really lifted your mood. Yeah, it did. It did. I really enjoyed you reading it. It did. I got enthusiastic there. Did you see how big that year is on there? That's a little, yeah. But no, it's it's a lovely interview. It really is. It's really nice. 
Nice. Nice is good. <laughs> nice is good. I'm really proud of this interview and I really want you to all experience what Sarah experienced. So this is why I want to give you an extract of it in this week's podcast. But I will say reading it in print or in the new digital version of the magazine is really a lovely thing. I feel like a lot of these interviews remind me of a proper old school novel. And despite the fact there's all these current things being discussed and modern technology and different things like that, there's an energy that just reminds me it's got a soul that reminds me of a good book. Yeah, yeah. And Johnny and I talked about the process of making his new album, It's Never Fair, Always True. And it, loads of the part of the conversation I've got here for you to listen to is about being getting creative. Yeah. And it's about going from having no cash to making stuff happen, which is kind of what the underbelly of Blag is all the time. It's really a tool of encouragement. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And there's a lot of stories within stories in this one, and it's really quite fun. And and there's a, there's a lot around it that you can experience via the digital copy of the print edition. There is. <laughs> you can visit www.blagmagazine.com for... Yes, that's blagmagazine.com. Okay, so here's the interview... So when you first listened to music, you always used to imagine yourself performing it. Can you pick a track and describe kind of like a version and the crowd and the place that you'd have when you were imagining? Being oh, in- man. Yeah, it's I, it's so hard to place that. It's just one of these things that ever... I think the reason why I said that, and I said it in a couple different interviews, is because ever since I've been a kid, you know, you, you normally have an idea of what you want to do and then reality kind of kicks in, right? Like everybody wants to be a doctor or an astronaut or a rock star or whatever. And then you, you get up to middle school or high school and then your guidance counselor starts telling you to limit your expectations and pick something a little more realistic. Well, ever since I was a kid, my earliest memory is anytime there's ever been music on in the car or I had my little Walkman or my mom was playing something in the house, I'd always try to imagine myself performing it for a crowd, which was weird because as a kid, I was super shy and definitely scared of doing anything in front of a crowd. My mom used to make me try to do plays and stuff and I would cry out of fear of stage fright and never go on stage but that's my earliest memory and then that kind of never really went away and never shook away leading all the way up until I did get to high school then I was told to limit my expectations obviously so then I tried to go to college for nursing and it didn't really work out but music did thank god this is all a long-winded answer to say I, I don't know if it's possible to really play like I can't picture like a place or a thing it's just it's more the feeling it's like when I would listen the song I would try to feel like I was performing in my chest like as a kid in the back of the car I would just feel like that goosebump feeling you'd get if there was an audience of people screaming and then fast forward to today when I actually do go on tour and when I do play shows now I do get that goosebump feeling now that like drug when people are cheering or there's like a roar of the crowd like it makes the, the hairs on the back of my neck stick up so it's more of a feeling it's it's less like visual it's not like I'm sitting there like oh yeah I'm playing at this stadium yeah. and there's all these people it's yeah, just like, yeah, it's yeah. a feeling that I couldn't explain and I think even when I was a kid I didn't even really necessarily know what that feeling was I started to decipher it a little more as I got older that's good so I'm gonna go all the way back to before you started making music properly but you managed a pizza spot didn't you because I did. I did. me and Sarah used to have to kind of unofficially run one work to fund art school and to fund like, okay art. okay so I always know what it was like Oh, I know exactly what it's like. I also know what it's like. Yeah, I, I loved it. I, was I, I loved yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I did everything. I did. Yeah, making the dough to doing the dishes. Yeah, same here. Well, we, yeah. we had, there was a pizzeria 
in Shrewsbury, New Jersey. I believe they're still open. I got fired, kind of, because I, in a nice way, they didn't have the money to to keep me on. That the the owner, the boss was, he had to step in and do all the stuff because he was like, we just we're not making enough money now. But then I heard that they ended up becoming cash flow positive two years later, so that's a good thing. But I always feel like I thrive in the food industry now like McDonald's and stuff like that. That was when I was younger, but but one step above that, you know, the fast, casual, half restaurant, half fast food experience. I always feel like I thrived in that environment as a manager, as a worker, because it's just those high-paced environments. Yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. Kind of feels like a show in a weird way as far as the adrenaline and the, the energy and the rush. And you could be yelling at your coworkers and yelling at your chef or whatever it is, and y'all all hate each other in the moment. But then after... It's all like a big family. You could all go get a beer together or whatever. There's something beautiful about that that I really liked. And I worked those jobs all the way up until music worked. And if music ever fails, I'll probably do it again because I really liked it. I related to being in the kitchen a lot. It was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a good time, but I'd go to college. It's now university. And I'd have a pile of my clothes from the pizza place on the floor and it just would smell so strong <laughs> every time. Yeah. Oh it's my like, god, oh, the oils college. and the and the smoke and the oils and all the stuff, yeah. Yeah, big time. And then moving forward, you worked solo on your music for a while and then you transitioned to working with a more with more of a crew. How was that kind of process for you? Because I know that when you're making you when you're being creative, because I'm like an art school student, you, you've got a lot of mixed emotions that you're dealing with when you're being creative. So you're excited and you're vulnerable and you're kind of shy or super happy about it. So what was it like when you suddenly had new people in and you've kind of, you've got to kind of express yourself in front of them in that way? Yeah, it's a really good question too. Originally, yeah, I did get into music just to do it alone, right? But I, I think it was more out of necessity than it was by choice. And then it became a choice after, right? So I became a producer first was doing that was doing the producer game thing but then when I wanted to make music for myself I didn't obviously didn't have the money to go into uh, studios but I already knew how to produce so I was just like I'll just do everything myself then that kind of became a habit after a few years because I'm like oh yeah that's me I'm I'm Johnny I do everything alone kind of an unhealthy mindset right and then once I moved to LA and you know signed to a major label started actually like getting to that next step in my music career I think I, I slowly started cracking the door open a little bit to okay mm. well you know it takes a village like anytime you see someone accept a Grammy they're not they're not thanking no one you know what I mean like sometimes there's people out there that can just like you know from going to art school that have skills and abilities that you might not have or strengths in areas that you're not necessarily strong in right so I kind of cracked that door open a little bit at the end of 2019 where I was like all right I've been doing everything myself for like four and a half years now let me just try start going in some rooms becoming vulnerable in front of people find some people that I'm comfortable with right but while also finding people who were willing to work with me as a producer as well because I wasn't gonna let go of the producer reins on all my uh, songs because I still I'm a producer on every one of my songs to this day because that's where I started. And then slowly but surely from there, I started finding people that I felt comfortable enough to like bring into my world and work with consistently, especially with some of the music that I write because I do get a little sad and vulnerable at times, especially on this new record that's coming out. And so I think it's super important to have people that you're comfortable with, not yeah. only collaboratively, but also just comfortable with on a human level. Because if you if you have a, a concept you're trying to tackle yeah, or you have exactly. a sad song you want to do, you want to be in a room with someone you feel comfortable with when you're up on the microphone or you're writing or you're bouncing the idea back and forth. That was super important to me, but I have found my little friend group crew that I that I 
that I like working with, my pit stop crew, if this is NASCAR, if you will. And it's been great. And they all respect me as a producer and a writer. And they don't try to, you know, change what I got going on. Because if it's not broke, don't fix it. They just try to enhance it. Like if it was a gun, they're just packing more gunpowder into the bullet, trying to shoot the bullet further. And it's been great dividing and conquering the workload. Because doing it all alone is really hard. Exporting all the stems by yourself is really hard. Every time there's a note on something, having to do it all yourself is really hard. So it's cool when you have other people there to utilize to do this thing so you can stay focused in another area. Yeah. How do you feel like having other people involved just kind of did it give you more confidence, kind of push yourself more? Or was there any kind of certain areas where you kind of got boosted in a certain way? Yeah, I I think the most important thing was what I think it was probably just the divide and conquerness of it, because you know, I'm having to do everything by myself, right? Originally. So I'm I'm writing the music, I'm producing the music, I'm engineering the music. I'm releasing the music, I'm filming the music video, I'm going to the label meetings, I'm doing all the things. So whenever it gets time to, oh, we need to export stuff for this, or oh, there needs to be a radio edit for for this, or oh, now we need a clean version of this song, or now we need a TV mix for this song. I was having to do all that by myself while also Mm -hmm. still making all of these things. So it's it's cool in that regard to have people that can, you know, hey, yo, uh, Maud, do you mind bouncing out a version of the song with X, Y, and Z? And he can just do it in the background while I'm off doing my own thing. But that seems more to work of an answer. But that's one thing. The second one is more of a human level answer where I don't know if there's just some camaraderie there or there's just some human level thing that you can't explain, like an untangible thing, but there's something about a group full of people or just a couple of people that all kind of want to see you win and help you execute your visions to the fullest because they believe in you. That just, it brings out this just natural drive to want to make the best product possible, which is what I've been doing now for the last couple of years, where you just feel that. I mean, you feel it from your label and your managers and stuff, but you feel it in creating music. Like when I'm in a, when I'm in a room alone, I can only trust my own head to be like, yeah, this is fire. What if I bring an idea I produce or I wrote or I voice memo into a room with people that I trust whose taste I trust as well? If they're, If I'm getting three other confirmations that are like, oh no, this idea is great. You should run with it. That's now four people, including myself, that all think this idea is great. And I, I don't know, there's something about that, too. That's the extra boost of confidence, yeah. I guess, because uh, I can talk myself down off of a lot of ledges oftentimes with my negative thoughts. That's great. Yeah, I, I like it personally. I, I don't work with a ton of people. I only work with like three probably tops because I still do a lot of things myself. But it's been great. And I love what we did for this record. And it's amazing. Brilliant. What advice would you give to gifted kids who don't have a belief or a support system? Oh, man, that that's the ceiling in your room. It's not as far as your dreams can go. You know what I mean? It's so easy to feel that way when you're in that Mm. little echo chamber, hearing Mm. people tell you what you can't do. You feel like there's just a glass ceiling up there that you can't break through. And I know that's really easy for me to say and you know, you go on YouTube and you type in a TED Talk and there's a bunch of people saying all similar things. But it, it really is true. You, you can do anything you put your mind to, right? So I guess the best advice yeah. I would give is never accept no for an answer, right? If it's something you know you want to do, not even just music. If you want to be a painter or a cooker, an accountant or a musician, or if you want to join the fucking circus, you don't want to be 50 years old kicking yourself, being like, oh, well, what if? Like, what if I tried, right? 
you you got one life to live, so you might as well try it while you can. But most importantly, there's just so many resources out there now today. It's insane. The YouTube University, you can learn anything on there. Social media in general, you could post anything at any time. And it's like a winning lottery ticket that just could go off if you just happen to be at the right place at the right time. And so I would just say, be true to yourself. Make whatever it is you truly want to make. Don't worry about any of the noise of what's going on around you. Don't try to be anybody else. Just be true to yourself. Chase what gets you excited and nothing else. And just run full speed ahead of it. If an idea gets you excited, that's it. Go. Don't think twice. Just do it. You know what I mean? And this is all easy for me to say because I'm in a position, obviously, now where I've had some sort of commercial success in the last couple of years. But I was in the same place. You know what I mean? I was working a dead-end cook job, making no money off of music at all. But it didn't deter me, and I, you just got to keep going. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, I've done loads of interviews. I don't know if you know the history of Blag that we started it in 1992. Yeah, <laughs> I did know that. So this is before, like, this is before mobile phones. This is when I used to have to go down the corridor at art college and pick up the payphone and call up people. Oh my god! Them. So it's literally like, can you just go to a venue like 50 miles away and hope that you get in with your fake ID? Most yeah. That good but in all with all the, all the people I've interviewed all kinds of people all walks of life there's two kind of paths that they follow with regards to when they get successful and one is they're surrounded by love and support from their family and the other mm. is they have absolutely nothing to lose it's really interesting wow that is really absolutely. interesting I, I'm, that, a, I'm in a little bit of a I'm kind of in a middle ground <laughs> with that because I, I do have a very good support system now right my, my family is very insanely supportive now obviously like who wouldn't be that's crazy right like they they see everything that's going on and it's nuts but they didn't know about any of it before i i had a period of time where i didn't talk to either one of my Secret. parents for like five years wow um so there was nothing to even support they didn't even know i was trying to do this music mm. thing seriously at all so i kind of have that weird middle ground where now i, I feel the support and the love but then at the time i didn't probably by my own choosing because I, I could have at any point right if maybe I would have just phoned home or let go of my stubbornness and because uh, I ran away from home when I was really young but yeah it's a weird middle ground because I have a lot of friends and people that I know who don't have that support or didn't growing up and like you said there's kind of two paths I can almost give an extra drive there I want to prove everybody wrong or something like that but I I was lucky enough to have a, a good childhood where music was definitely not discouraged while I was growing up if I ever had an interest in anything my my parents always seemed to just get behind it and just let me try it out right as a kid you know if I wanted to skateboard they'd buy me a skateboard or or you know they wouldn't stray me away if I wanted yeah. to play the guitar they would be supportive and let, let me try to do that so yeah I, I definitely am grateful for that growing up because I I don't know what I would have done without that that's the only life I know right but I I do know that there's another path and uh, I'm happy I wasn't on it. Pretty blessed that my parents, you know, bought me a guitar when I was a kid. Seemed to turn out pretty good, right? Could have all been very different. So I'm very grateful for that, for the way that I came up. Yeah. I want to show you something before I change subjects. This is yeah. the very first print edition of Blag. This is from oh 19 my God. 1995. And I want you to look at this. <laughs> is that <laughs> Beck Odelay on the back? Yeah. And this. Incredible. Incredible. This is a Beck interview. Oh my God, it's Baby Beck. Yeah. Oh my God. How was that? How was talking to him? It was great. He had a Barbie phone for his photo photo shoot. I mean, incredible. 
You can't see it. Bro. I mean, he's he's a, he's he's pre, this is pre mobile. This is like fake mobile. Oh my god! I just got off of a tour with him, and he's he's incredible, man. He's literally incredible. He's he's amazing. Good. I got no, I got nothing bad to say about Beck. It's one of my idols, so that's yeah. I'm geeking out. I, I, it's really I nice to it. meet your idol and get on really well with him. Like Sarah and I became really good friends with BC Boys and Public Enemy, and oh my god, and then they're, they're incredible too. Nice, it's really nice, really really nice. So one of the most influential. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Groups of all time. Paul's Boutique. Yes. Insane record. Changed yeah. everything. Yeah, I think that record changed Questlove's life. He said, "So does the cover with us." <laughs> yeah, yeah. We gave him his first cover in '97. So yeah. There we go. So you guys have been, you guys are the OGs. Yeah. So I told my managers, I was like, "Hey, we need to get this on the books ASAP." How did you know about Black? I just heard. Well, I'm just a big like Neptune's head. Oh. I like because I was a producer first. That's what me and my brother wanted to do. We wanted to be Neptune. So I think that's where I'd seen some of it originally because I'm obviously wasn't around back then at mm-hmm. all. And if I was even in the late 90s, I was not sentient of any of this. But, you know, when you get older and you have interests, you start scouring the Internet yeah. for, for old things or old interviews or old yeah. photo shoots and old things. So I, I think somewhere in there is probably where I first became aware of things like that. But, yeah, I was a giant just like Chad Hugo and Pharrell. Fam, me and my brother both were just like in, in NERD too. We were both just like super obsessed. We're California kids. So like they, if you want to be a producer in California, that was kind of the music you were hearing, even though I don't think they're from California. I'm pretty sure they're Virginia. from like Virginia or something. Yeah. Right. But that's all I heard growing up was Pharrell beats on the radio. It's like everything I heard in ne- or Neptune beats on the radio. So, yeah. What did he um, of all of, 47% of all the songs on the radio at that time? Yeah, see, and that, that's it. like <laughs> it's insane, and it's yeah. because it was great. They had they were tastemakers, and they just had yeah. that right touch. They and it was simple; it wasn't too hard. It's like five elements in every beat. It's all you need. They just, just knew how to do it, and so I I think that to answer your question though, that was where I probably found it because I can't remember now. Like I'm twenty, I'm twenty seven now, but this was probably in my like internet sleuthing days that. 15, 16, 17 scouring thing. I used to try to magazine collect too when I was younger. I lost all those, so, so. Uh, <laughs> no oh. use. I can't recover them, but they're gone. Oh. I got stolen. Oh no. Now, Rats. going back to you and your music videos and you do your own stunts, how did you get the record label to agree to ensure it? Yeah, well, okay, so I signed like a little later than when, you know, normal come up artists might sign, right? Like some people now, especially these days with the TikTok and things like that, people are signing at 16, 17, 18. I didn't sign a a major deal until I was 23, which is still a baby, but it was far enough along that I I had my head on my shoulders a little more and I knew certain things to ask for and what I was looking for. So the first thing in the negotiation period that I ever asked for was just for creative autonomy, which is basically like, 
each project that you guys greenlit or greenlight, I just want full say over everything. And we just put it out. And if it fails and tanks and bursts into flames, then you could just drop me and you don't have to pick up the next option. But you've got to let me bet on myself and do what I want to do, which they agreed to. So with that being said, every time I have a, a project or an EP or anything like that, and you're going over the music video budget, the only things I really have to do, because I can still say no, but the only thing I have to do is put together a nice treatment walk them through it, explain it, and they normally don't shoot it down. I haven't been shot down yet. And uh, at one point, it was almost to a fault. Like, I, I remember in, in this past album cycle, we were going to try to hire this helicopter to hang me up upside down and, and fly me around Los Angeles and do a bunch of circles around. I would be hanging upside down by my feet by a helicopter, like 30,000 feet in the air or whatever. And me and my director, Spencer, were going over it. And I wasn't letting on that I was definitely like really, really scared about it. And I was like, all right, but there's no, this is fine. I'm, I'm going to green light it. We'll bring it to my managers and then they're going to shut it down. And then I'll blame it on them. It'll look like them, right? Then it got to my managers and they were like, great. Yeah, this is amazing. Let's do it. Then they go to the label and I'm like, all right, well, I still look like the strong, tough guy here. I said, I'll do it. There's no way that the label is ever going to approve this. And then the treatment goes up to the label. And because I've already done so many crazy things, they're like, yeah, of course. Like, let's do it. That's amazing. But then I had to let on and be like, all right, guys, I actually I'm terrified. I don't want to do this. <laughs> but so far, Interscope's been great in that regard. As long as I give them, if, if there's a point A and a point B, as long as I give them B and tell them where I'm going and explain why it makes sense. You know, it's not like, hey, I want to rent a crane to do this this thing for no reason. Uh, as long as I give them an answer and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm, I, have, I have an idea for these videos at the end. It's going to be a movie. They're all going to go together in sequencing. It all, it all makes sense. Here's how the car scene makes sense. Here's how this makes sense. As long as you explain it and break it down to them, they've been pretty supportive, I would say. I, I haven't been turned down yet. Um, and it's been a great creative, collaborative partner to have in the visual department because they got one of the best video teams in the industry right now, uh, as far as like people who work it and can make things happen. It just makes our insurance on all the videos are insane because there's always some way I could die. So that's the only thing that sucks, but it's been great. Yeah. We got to shut down nine blocks of Los Angeles and film a fucking car chase scene with a drone. And they, I don't know, they just let me do really cool things. I'm very grateful for that. And I've been with them for, God, like four years now. So it's been really cool to build all this stuff together and build this world out. That's brilliant. And people, from my past experience, because I've been on a few music shoots, they're a lot of fun. Like every time I've been on a music video shoot. Yeah. A lot of fun. Like, I mean, it's, it's it's the equivalent of, you know, when you're a kid, you get to, I mean, take this with a grain of salt, because I don't really mean it like this, because I'm not putting on a mask at all, like I am myself, but it is kind of the equivalent of, you know, playing dress up, becoming someone, and just it's like the adult version of that for a day, you just show up, you dress up, and you play, and then you go home, there's no, I can't think of anything else where you really do that as an adult. Yeah, you, you show up and you're like, all right, this is the world that I'm in today. Kind of like an act. I guess an actor would be the only other thing or like a Broadway play person. But what's funner than that? I mean, that's what we used to do when we were five or six or seven years old. Just use your imagination and go somewhere else. And yeah. now you have the opportunity to do that and make these high, giant budget music videos. It's amazing. Like, it's it's the funnest thing ever. Why not? And what's the song that you wrote the fastest on the album? Which song was the fastest? <laughs> and that's a good question. It's a song called Everything. 
where, um, and this happens sometimes, I'm going to try to explain it the best I can without sounding pretentious, because I'm really not trying to. There, There's some, I feel like there's a couple ways to write music. Obviously, there's a billion ways to write music. But there's a couple ways that I write music. And there's three, like the first one is, you know, the obvious, like you sit down with the guitar or the piano or whatever, and you start kind of mulling over an idea and you, you figure it out and you voice memo it a few times, you write some things down, then you have a song. The second way, my producer brain, is I, I'll just produce an instrumental out that I just like, like without any music in mind. Like I'll just chase an idea until I get excited, maybe like a drum beat or something, and then I'll write over it. Cause I'm like, all right, I, I have something there. I have a map. The third thing that happens sometimes is this weird, crazy combination of the first two where it's, it's like a, it's almost like a dream. Like it, uh, it's like the song already exists. It's already there. It's like, it's almost already written in some like ancestral knowledge and you just keep uncovering it and unwrapping it. And it's all happening way too fast for how, for how good it is or how deep it is or something. And it, it's like you're an archaeologist digging for dinosaur bones and every brush uh, in the dirt, you're like finding an, a leg and then now you have a skeleton, now you have a head and then you step back and you have a whole dinosaur and it's only been like a few hours. And that happens to me very rarely where it's it's so weird. It's like the song already exists and I'm just uncovering it and things are just coming out of my mouth and I'm just saying things. And I'm like, oh my God, that works perfectly. Then you write it down and then I just say something. It's like something's just coming through me. It's very weird. It's happened maybe like five or six times. But there's a song called Everything on the album where it was kind of like that, where I kind of had an idea, like my first way of songwriting. And then me and my buddy Jamie kind of produced it out. And then it just started happening. Like I, I was just saying things out loud and everything that I was saying just worked and everything that I was singing, just top lining freestyle just worked perfectly. And in like two hours after like a blur and everything happened so fast, you just step back and you're like, oh fuck, there's like a whole beautiful incredible song here that sounds like we spent a month of me just really trying to write the prettiest thing and it just happened and I love it when something like that happens but it's it's weird that's that's like my three ways that a song gets written the third one very rarely happens but yeah it's a song called everything on the record and it just came together so quickly in the then I got an orchestra on it to do some things and it's it's just beautiful and I love it nice so if I it's like a pop. it's like a whirlwind. It's oh it's, wow! It doesn't make sense. It's weird. Yeah, the reason why I say it's like a dream is yeah, it's like a it's like it's already there. It's like a memory of something, and you're just like uncovering it. Like you're not really writing it. You're just figuring yeah. it out. It's very so weird and flow exciting. State, does that mean anything to you? Flow state. Flow state. What was that? Flow state. Yeah. Do you know? That? I'm unfamiliar with what that means, but maybe that's what it is. That's what flow is the flow state? <laughs> Amazing. But I'm I was in I was in flow state doing yeah. everything. Um, I gotta look up more into what that is. I'm go, pretty who, sure who I was in that. Flow state. It's <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that was the song on the record though, where that happened. Everything else still came together fairly quickly. I I don't put anything out that I have to think too hard over or something that like if I'm spending months on a song, it's probably not that good to be honest. Because if it if it was good, it should come together quicker. Yeah. Um, sense i mean you can spend months on finishing post stuff but the writing stuff shouldn't take uh i shouldn't be mulling over lyrics for like six months that means you're thinking too hard about it but everything just came together super fast everything else on the record i would say the initial writing part probably took a day or two for each song maybe maybe a couple months here and there just perfecting things and you know tracking an orchestra here or there and 
going to Texas and tracking a different part over there. But as far as the songwriting, I would say everything came together super quickly. That's great. I want to find out, is there any particular place or anything that makes you feel most creative? Like a lot of our friends have moved to LA and they get really, they really enjoy the ocean and the mountains. They say it really does a lot for them. You've made that move as well, haven't you? Yeah, I I mean, LA is great as far as just the state, like California, like I was born and raised in California. So I do tend to feel the most comfortable here as far as just like feeling at home. I, it's a hard question to answer over like over like a, about everything overarching, but I can answer it more, more so specifically for this record because I, I did find a place for this record that inspired me a lot so much that I went back like a couple times and I think it was the escape from LA that actually gave me the inspiration where LA is kind of such a culture in music especially songwriting and producing the session culture here is very real you know you clock into a session you start working at a certain point you clock out and then you go back home to your regular life for your wife or your husband or your dog and you do it all over again the next day. And I had an idea to go to this place in Texas called Sonic Ranch, which is on the border of El Paso, Texas and Mexico, like right on the border. It's in the middle of the desert. It's a recording studio complex, but it kind of gets rid of the LA session culture a bit because if you, if, if I'm going there and I bring a few friends going there, there really isn't a stop time or a start time. You're just... You, you just work and you just get inspired and you work there's no like okay I need to go back home and feed my dog and let it out for a walk or oh, I have to go make this dinner you're just there and you work until you don't want to work anymore and then you're living in the studio so you're like surrounded by music the whole time anyway and instruments and gear and uh I don't know something about that I thought was really magical and I got a lot of work done when I spent a week there the first time so then I, I came back home. I went on a tour in 2021. And then I like went to Paris to do the French Grammys and a couple other things. And then once I got back, I was like, all right, time to go back to Texas and do like another unplug. Uh, and then I worked on the record again in Texas and then ended up finishing it in Texas once again. So, yeah, I think I weirdly got inspired by being in the desert. Less about the scenery, more just being away from everything and yeah. being all consumed with the the art that I was making yeah. quote unquote without sounding too pretentious just like if I'm finishing a record like I want to live in that world right so it, I think it was just frustrating me to jump into that world and then clock out and then go home and then come back in and then clock out and go home so yeah I found a lot of inspiration in that just being stuck in it not being able yeah. to leave um and being in the trenches with my friends too was fun. Who knows? Maybe I'll have a different answer next year for what I found inspiration in. But I think that was where I found most of it for this process for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I did an interview with Tame and Parlor years ago and they said that they what they got so engrossed in making the album that Kevin said he didn't brush his teeth for two weeks. Yeah, see, it happens <laughs> like that sometimes. But that's a you want that in a way, right? You want to like just be in that space and, and not leave it. He could probably find time to brush his teeth though, but still, you know what I mean? Like No mic sharing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I loved it. I, I just loved it. And I'm, I'm probably going to do it again, maybe somewhere else this time. But yeah, it was nice to be away from where you live. Yeah. And then, as I said earlier, I went to art school. So I was really taught about how to be original. I was taught kind of like... They teach me kind of about like Bauhaus or 
Mondrian and things like that. I and mean, then they'd send me off to go and do kind of like my own version of it without copying anything. Yeah, incredible. So I want to talk to you about kind of like if you've got any kind of process for how you put your work together to from that perspective. So it doesn't seem not like, well, does, this is mine. It's not like, because your sound's more unique. So kind of curious to find out whether it's kind of like, because you decided when you were so young that you wanted to become a musician. Maybe yeah. That sort of sense of originality. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a hard question to answer, but it's, if I had to put it, I, you know. So if, if you're... Question that's not a very well worded question. No, no, no. I, 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 I'm interested in trying to tackle it because it is hard because with, mm. with tangible art, right? Like, um, like with tangible art, like let's say a painting, if you look at a Picasso painting and then you sit down, you're looking at a Picasso painting, you can kind of physically mimic those tangible brushstrokes music yes you can as well like if i'm listening to a song you can if you really wanted to i guess copy all the parts but it's a little less tangible and i think something that i've done without even being super self because everybody steals right like it's just stealing tastefully like you steal without even knowing that you're stealing as a musician every melody you've ever heard every chord progression you've ever heard every song you've ever heard it's, it's stuck in your head somewhere in your subconscious and when you're writing you're pulling from all these, like 1% from all these different places at all time, because that's how mm -hmm. you have a sense of melody is through hearing yeah. all of these melodies on your walk of life. But I think something that I've always learned from being younger up until now is being self-aware of that and taking inspiration from things while also still making things yourself. You know what I mean? Like, obviously my music has a ton of influence, has influences on from, from Beck or being in high school with bands like MGMT or weird production things sometimes like Animal Collective or full 2005 to 2000 fucking, or probably 2003 to 2009, just like a rap, like super influenced by the drum production and things like that. And I can go on, just keep going on down the list. But if you listen to one of my songs, or you go through my discography, I don't think there's a single song that you're like oh this sounds just like a beck song or oh this sounds just like an mgmt song or oh this sounds just like a neptune's production mm -hmm. song because you just have to take those things apply it but then make something your own at the same time right like that's what makes a good artist or that's what makes a good songwriter that's what makes you an interesting artist that people want to listen to is because you do sound different than everybody else and i've even tried to stray away especially in 2019 I, I tried to shy away from who I even was because I got so insecure when I had a song blow up so big but you can't really escape who you are my, my friend David told me the story and I'm, I don't know what the author's name is but there was an author and he wrote a book he spent a long time on this book and it was supposed to be like a very serious book he was being he was being serious he wrote this novel about the serious story and it became a huge hit but everyone thought it was funny. Like they thought it was funny. They weren't making fun of it, but they were laughing while they were reading it. That wasn't his intention. But there's a there's a moral in that story of no matter how hard you try to be something or be someone else, like your true self always shines through, right? So my music always some way or another, like if it's a sad song, it's always hopefully op optimistic in a weird way. If it's a happy song, it's always like some sort of tongue in cheek indie kind of thing. And those are things that I just can't escape because of... Uh, the influences that I've had growing up and the the elbows that I've scraped together and all the experiences I've had have led me to here. And as much as I might try to 
stray away from that or become somebody else like that sound is always going to shine through because it's all I really know and it's all that's in here you know what I mean and so I think the most important thing is just not trying to cage that demon just letting him out and and just running full speed ahead with it you know what I mean um and not suppress it and not try to be someone else that you're not like you said your your teacher might be like hey okay you've seen this but now go do your own thing because if you try to be someone else or if you try to channel that person's artistic integrity or their identity it's not no one's going to connect to it because no one's going to care because they're not going to feel anything genuine coming from it because you can even feel connections with art pieces in a museum right like if if that piece is hanging up in a museum no one's going to feel anything because it's it's not really you it's not who you are on the inside hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed that interview. You can now treasure it in book form, digital or print via www.blagmagazine.com.